What's happening, everybody? It's your boy, John of King Kong Carroll, and you're listening to Simbox Presents. Let's talk boxing. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Let's Talk Boxing podcast with your host, Luke from Simbox. Hi, guys, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing. As always, I'm your host, Luke. And we have another special guest co-host this week, filling the boots of Ewan. Now he's moved on to Passage New. Following on from Bradley Ray last week, we have Scouse boxer Tom Farrell. How are we doing, Tom? Good, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. I was going to say Scouse super lightweight boxer, but given that we're coming out of a pandemic, I don't know whether we're at welterweight or we're at light middleweight. (laughs) How's the weight looking? Uh, Middle at the minute, I think. No, I've, I've, I've been training. I've been training for the last 12 months, really. Um, I'm really still training. I've just, just been cracking on. Um, obviously, my diet has been relaxed a little bit. Um, I've had a little spell, little spells where I thought could, could maybe be fighting, but yeah, um, it's been relaxed, relaxed my diet, but no, not gone, gone stupid, do you know what I mean? I'm not going to lie, I've had a few eggs the last couple of days, but um, yeah, not gone, not gone silly. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Easter, you know, if there's any time you're allowed a bit of chocolate and a bit of a, a cheap weekend rather than a cheap day, it's got to be Easter weekend, surely. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, normally with our boxing podcast, like I say, we'll get into boxing news and a couple of headlines and whatever for the second half of the podcast. But first and foremost, I want to get to know a little bit more about Tom Farrell for our listeners. The guys that maybe don't know the story. Let's go back to the beginning, Tom. Where did it all start with yourself? What's your first memories of getting into boxing? Um, first, first memory of boxing. Um, I, I never really had my intention of of boxing fighting. Maybe. Um, I'd have a few little goals in the gym previously. Um, little few sessions here and there. Cause it was always banging to me fitness when I was younger. I used to do like cross country and all, all that. Every every sports event in the school, I'd always be be going to. So yeah, always loved footy, but yeah, never never really stuck to boxing. All all I would have liked it, and I liked watching it. You say then um, you're into your football, are you red or blue when it comes to Liverpool? I'm a blue. We've just uh we just messed up tonight there. Just uh just conceded late into Crystal Palace. Uh it's not good. Oh, it's not uh, good. So hopefully it's not, not good put down in the podcast. Yeah. yeah I've knocked that down. So do you remember the first time you walked into a boxing gym? Yeah, the first the first proper time I probably went into a boxing gym was um was at the first boxing gym that I went to, Dovecott, Dovecott ABC. Uh, it's not there anymore, it's gone. Um, and yeah, I, I was just going with it just, just for a bit of fitness. And it was a boss it was a boss gym. Uh, it was in an old cinema, um, an old like, picture old type um, type venue that had been converted and the bags and all that had been put in. We had the big massive ring. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a proper smart venue. And as I said, I didn't go, go to to like, to pursue a career in boxing or to, to potentially start fighting. I just went for a bit of fitness because all my mates are going. Um, and then didn't look back and, and continued to go every three times a week with, with, with the lads who still went. And, you know, the rest of my mates dropped off really. They never, never really bothered continuing and, you know, proper enjoyed it. And I think it's sort of quite quick. And the coaches then just said, like, listen, do you want to get your medical? Do you want to have a fight? And I was like, yeah, go on then, let's, uh, let's do it. So how did it transition from 
being like a little bit of a hobby and then you started taking it a little bit more seriously. Did you then go into like amateur boxing and come up that way or did you turn over pro and, and go straight into professional? Yeah, yeah they, uh, I turned over, I, I went, I was I had my first amateur contest quite late really, I was 17. Um, so yeah, in terms of the rest of amateur boxers, they, they're all having it when they're 10, 11, you know, when they've been boxing for, for 15 years before they turned professional. But I was quite late. Um, at my first senior, our first contest was straight away. It was a senior contest, um, when I was seventeen, and I think I had forty-one amateur contests in the end. Um, and then that's when I just decided to draw. Yeah, why why not have a gold pro? Absolutely. So, of course, being from Liverpool, it's a proud boxing city, like to John Conte and the Smith brothers and Jay Neary in recent yeah. years. <clears throat> Who was your kind of idols growing up? Who did you like to look up to? Was he anybody local or was it somebody more on a, a bigger scene? Do you know what? Yeah, I always say um, Pricey, David Price. Um, he came into our school when I was like 16, I think. Um, I remember him saying, uh, do you know what? He went, I didn't start boxing until I was, I think he might have been like 16 when he started himself. And obviously because of his size and how, how quick he took to it, he, he, he shot up. Through, through the rankings and, and you know, made made a good, great amateur career and ended up being an Olympian. And I think, I don't know whether it was his Olympic gold medal, I think it might have been his Commonwealth gold medal and he came into our school. Being the next pupil, I think he was, he came into our school and uh, showed, us, showed us his medal and said, you know, if you should ever insisted in getting into boxing, it's not, not too late. So I think that always stuck with me. Um, but, you know, he started quite late and I thought, so... When I did go in the gym, I thought, you know what, he's he's done it late. You know, there's no reason why I can't have a little go. And, you know what? Once I once I had that first fight, and that was it. Then that was the bug. Um, it was in me then, and I loved it. And and then a proper, it was a proper passion, and it it became not fitness. Do you know what I mean? It was like, well, this is a this is boss. This and I think once you've had that little taste of a fight, and you know all the the feelings that's around and everything that goes on, I think. It stays with you forever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you see somebody like David Price, like you're saying, he comes in and he tells you that, you know, don't worry, it's not too late. And you, you maybe have those kind of doubts in the back of your mind that, you know, you didn't box as a as a junior at 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, like a lot of kids do, and they get into it really early. Um, you hear the stories of, of Lomachenko and, and, and fighters like mm. that boxing at six, seven years of age. So to see somebody of, of David Price's ilk and, you know, somebody that's local to you and come in and say, you know, listen, you don't have to worry about your age. You're still able to to get into the game now and yeah, yeah. the levels he went on and reached, like you say, like the, the Olympics and the Commonwealth medals. That's a really great source of inspiration and somebody that's, you know, uh, yeah. from your area as well, right on your doorstep. Yeah, definitely, because he was relatable, you know what I mean? He was he was a lot local lad from, from West Harvey, um, which is around the corner for me. Um, I think, I'm sure he did, yeah, so they go to our school. It was a... It was a little bit of a like a thing where I thought John White, yeah. Uh, and then obviously quite early in the career I started like getting like close to Pricey because he was in our in our gym for a bit, doing a little bit of training there and stuff. Um, and then obviously boxed on a couple of shows with him. So yeah, uh, we always see Pricey and he always, you know, always uh, have a have a chat with him. It's good uh, good good role model to look up to, you know. He's yeah. uh, he's, he's been up and up and down and you know, he's still still there fighting on. 
Yeah, he seems like a really great guy. Have you ever had that conversation with him that you said, listen, David, it's, it's you that kind of got me on the straight and narrow when it comes to boxing and, and the, the discussion that you had when you came into our school is what inspired me to become a boxer. Did you ever sit oh, and have that conversation with him? I don't know whether I've, I've, I've ever had that chat where I said, I've, where I probably have mentioned it to him, where I remember him coming, coming into our school, but uh, I don't really know whether, I think I have mentioned it before on like radio shift interviews and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think he probably will know, yeah. But, yeah if he doesn't know, uh, we'll get to listen to the Let's Stop Boxing podcast. I'm sure he'll find out that way. Yeah. Well, let's, forward, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's go up to the decision to turn professional. Take us through your mindset when you decided to turn pro. You made your professional debut back in 2014 at the Liverpool <laughs> Olympia, which must have been yeah. a proud moment for yourself and your family. You picked up a points victory against Becky Mayo, or Mayo, yeah. a bit of a difficult name to pronounce. But yeah, take yeah. us the decision to turn pro. And how, how proud of a moment it was for you as a scouser to make your debut at the Liverpool Olympia? Yeah, it, it was, um, I think, again, like, a little bit, bit of a, I just sort of fell into it again. I think um, I remember boxing, I was getting to a good level of amateur amateur boxing, you know, being in with some top kids. I think I got beaten in the quarterfinals, the three quarterfinals by Lewis Ritten. Um, and at that point, I was 24. Um, and I've recently not long been to watch um, Robbie Davis, who was my former teammate, teammate um, make his like professional debut like not long before. And it was only when I was watching him, I thought, someone like, oh, I fancy, fancy give it a go. Um, and the other thing as well, we started, he took head guards away in boxing. Yeah. So I thought, someone I'm getting punched in the head and banging heads and all that for not, and I may as well, may as well have a go getting paid for it. Um, and I said, I never really like, set my sights on being a world champion and like going this far, going that far. I really set my like goals. So, as I said, I started boxing quite late. So it was a little bit of learning on the job. I was boxing straight away as a senior and finding my feet and, and, and learning my way. So I just thought, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I think I'm good enough and you know I'd, I'd give it up, give it all all the time. Let's let's have a go and see how we get on. Absolutely. So what was the nerves like with that professional debut? You know, you, you say you, you, you've had a few amateur experiences, you come into the game quite late, you're in your hometown, I'm sure you sold quite a few tickets. Was there a lot of pressure there? Was there a lot of nerves? Yeah, there was. I was, I was a little bit nervous. Um, and, and I'm not big on nerves, but I was a little bit nervous, partly because it was the year. I st- I'll never forget it. It was my brother's birthday, 27th of September, um, and it was the, the, the Everton Liverpool derby. At Anfield, never forget it. One of the best goals I've ever seen scored. And I was in, I was in, um, I was in my mum's, still living in my mum's, and it was, I think it was an early kickoff. So obviously I never went. I was trying to chill out in the house, and I thought, just stay calm, don't get too hyped up. We get a deep one now, and the ball just comes out to Jackie Elephant on the edge of the box, and it was on them. And you just think, I remember don't you hit it. I was like, don't you it was like don't you hit it don't don't hit it Jackie I got next and he just fires it in I'm screaming running around the house <laughs> um, so I'm not to get too too like too uh, lively and burn any energy and another thing was I wasn't I wasn't wasn't too well like the week before um I'd had like just like fluey and cold you know what I mean it was one of them but I think it was always because I was flapping about getting sick I was probably bringing it on myself um so yeah, I was was quite nervous. I sold loads of tickets. It was a, it was going to be a busy one. But there was no chance I was ever going to not box. I trained like hard for it and done all the preparation. So 
So I was, I was a little bit nervous. I had that many people there thought you boxing. The kid, the kid was a bit heavy because I initially did say I was going to fight that welterweight. Um, as an amateur, I was boxing at 69 kilos, so I thought I'm going to fight at 10-7, aren't I? Um, so I, I said I was boxing at 10-7 and you know, Steve Wood and team ended up getting me like a light middleweight. So he was big. He was he weighed in like 71 key probably. Well, I think I think about 10, 12 or 11 stone. I was I was only I think I weighed in like 10, 8. Thinking that he was going to be around the same. Obviously, it was, that was like my first lesson in the pro game. Was like saying the journeyman they're not going to come and be bang on bang on the on the limit. I didn't. It was one of them who started to get on with it. Absolutely. Well, what a crazy concoction that is, man. Your professional debuts on the same day as a as a derby, which is huge in Liverpool, of course, with football. Yeah. You've had a bit of illness that might be playing on your mind the week before. It's your brother's birthday. The, the football's the early kickoff. You're trying to keep calm, but you're never going to keep calm yeah. when it's Liverpool, Everton, derby. You score an equaliser in the, the very last minute with Jackie Elka, so you're screaming all over the place and you've got to try and come back down and concentrate on the fight. What a crazy concoction for, for a professional debut, man. It was, it was a... It was a mad night that I don't ever forget. Like it was, you know, always it always goes in the blink of an eye. And you go, oh, I wish I could, wish I could be the dad and soak it off a bit more. But uh, definitely remember. Let's fast forward a couple of years. Your big first real big step up against Kofi Yates. It took place at Goodison Park, which in of itself is such a, an amazing experience for you. And it must have been a momentous occasion as a, an Everton fan. It was on the undercard of Tony Bellew's fight against. Ilongu Makabu, again, another spectacular victory for yeah. you. Take us through that fight. You beat Kofi Yates. It was a big step up. It was a bit of a Manchester-Liverpool rivalry, and it was on a huge yeah. track with Sky Sports, Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. Yeah, it was, um, it was, um, it was my first like, break-off fight, really, I think. And, and it was the first time. I think it was the first time I've been on Sky Sports. I've been on a few a few of the shows anyway, um, but it was my big opportunity. Um, I think obviously Sonny Belly had a big part of play playing getting me on. It was so I've always thanked thanked him for, for doing that for me. Uh, I think at the, at the time again he was in the place. We were both doing a little bit of training in our gym in terms of the conditioning. So he, I think Tony sort of said like you went you went listen, do you want to put Fazzy into a good fight? And they, like we were like yeah yeah we're we're all up for it. Do you know what I mean? And he was like well. I want to get a little bit of a, a derby going, so I think they put they put it to us, ourselves and they put it down to Kofi Yates' team. Like, listen, get a little bit of a Manchester Everton rivalry. Um, I don't think he really knew that we were like half like close, like in terms of like we teamed with each other a bit. Um, you knew Kofi so, like, previous. Yeah, I knew I knew we knew Kofi because our team, our extended conditioning team, had done a bit of. Where with Paul Butler and, and some of the lads at Arnie's gym when they were there. So we'd also been up and sparred Kofi not long before. And so I think when when he got off with the fight, I think he felt like he was a bit like, so they asked for me. Um, so when we went to the first press conference, we seen each other in the toilet and you're like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? You're all right. Um, but yeah, we just, it was one of them. Like we were mates, you know what I mean? We weren't mates, but we were mates and we got on with each other. And, Obviously, opportunity got put to us, and it was the first like first big fight for me, and it was a chance to, to get out there for him. And yeah, we both took him. It was a, a cracking fight, and I think it, I think it put, put put me on the map a little bit, and got people to realise who, who I was, and you know that I, that I was a good fighter. 
Absolutely. So what was the experience like of fighting in Goodison Park? You know, you've, I dare say you've been there a few times as an Everton fan. Yeah. You've got some on TV and you're kind of walking around inside the stadium. You've come out to walk to the ring, which is in the middle of the pitch. You've grew up watching your favourite players play on, kind of looking around like surreal. You know, it must have been an amazing yeah. It was mad. I'd, I'd been at the match the week before and I was just thinking, next time I'm here, I'm going to be fighting in the middle of the, the pitch. And again, it, like, like your professional debut, it just goes like that. And from, I remember being being our own win and I was getting pissed up at like what, two or three o'clock to get that down to the ground and it just went boom, flick within seconds. I felt like in seconds I was in the ring. Um, and then but it, was, it was a lovely day. It was, it was warm and it was a proper, uh, even though it was, it was like it, it started to cool down. It was a proper hot environment because of how sunny it was, and, and it was a lovely, proper, lovely summer's day, bank holiday Sunday. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a mad, mad occasion. Though. It just, I can't believe it's been like nearly five years ago now. Like yeah, it's real. Half, nearly five years. Yeah. It's just crazy, quick how fast it's gone. Absolutely. So the main event that night, Tony Bellew, as you say, like you, you friends with him, he's a big Evertonian, he's headlining and he's going for the WBC Cruiserweight world title. Was you able to kind of, you know, you won your fight, you go back, you shout, <laughs> did you get back out and watch the fight and support Tony? Are you able to kind of calm down quite quickly or do you need like a little bit more time after you fight to settle down a little bit? How did that work? <laughs> need a bit more time to get your stitches done. I think uh, I went back in I went back in to, to, the, to get myself uh, checked over. I think I had a bit of a cut on one eye. Uh, so we had a few stitches and felt like I was waiting there for ages. And then by the time I come back out, I'm seeing everyone in the nose came to watch me. Um, and then, yeah, I was got, thought I'd get a shower and get out and watch watch people. And then before you know it, it gone to happen. There was a few fights on him before, before Tony was on. He would been in the changes so just to see him, just to wish him all the best. And then, just getting out of the way then before me, I, I, as I said, it was his fight was starting. I was, I was having a bevy then with all my mates watching it. Um, but uh, we got Ming Sad and that as well. But was when obviously he, he, uh, he got the win, especially after in the fashion that he did after going down. It was like, I think that would have ruined it. Yeah. That would have ruined the occasions, or even for me, do you know what I mean? I, I just won, I'd have, a, I'd have a good fight and put a good performance on. Uh, but I think that would have wrecked the night of uh, the bomber. It wouldn't have turned it around like he did. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was it, it was such an amazing moment, you know, and to have so many scouts on the undercard as well, and even uh, fighters that are maybe Liverpool supporters, but the fighting at Goodison, they just knew it was such a big occasion for the city. And as you say, you had Tony Bellew headlining the card and, and fighters like yourself on the undercard, it was such a big occasion for Liverpool and Liverpool boxing. Yeah, definitely. There was... It seemed like there was loads on the show, and I think uh, all was that every no, there was only beefy out of the Smith brothers who never boxed because I think he was still with Frank Warren, um, place he was on. Uh, the, the card was just packed with, with uh, scousers and soft talent, and I think everyone, everyone put, a, put a display on. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're just having a look there. You say like Tony Bellew, Sean Dodd. Yourself, Stephen Smith, David Price, Callum Smith, James Metcalf, Paul Smith. It, it was unbelievable. Jeff Carroll, Craig Glover. It's like a yeah. who's who of, of current Liverpool boxing alumni. 
So, how, you know, just before we carry on with what we're chatting about there, like we say with um, Liverpool and you've got Everton uh, fans out of boxes, you've got Liverpool fans out of boxes, it seems like, like Scousers in general are very close. You know, you don't necessarily like, you know, best mates with each other, but... Does the football rivalry get put to the side? You when you got uh, like the Smith brothers, big Liverpool fans. Do you guys all kind of interact with each other? Like you quite pally and stuff. It all goes out the window, or is it kind of is there a bit of a, yeah. a rivalry? Yeah, no, no. There's there's a there's a rivalry. Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's it's not it's not on. Oh, it's not like Rangers Celtic. Do you know what I mean? It's not it's not on a lot of long end lines. It's like I, I would never not speak to. Smith brothers because they support Liverpool. We get on well, get on well with, with everyone. It's just a bit of a like scouts back their own as well. You always want you always want a scout to do well and never never ever want want a scout to, to get beat, do you know what I mean? So yeah, it doesn't matter. I think football who who you who support becomes irrelevant really. And no, I'm a massive Everton fan, but I'd never not go and watch Pricey because he comes out to have a walk along. It's it's just it's just the uh, when the foot when the, the footy banter comes out, it's just a bit of a blast, you know what I mean? It's it's a, it's not the not the be all in well. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on from the Kofi Yates about uh, sorry, the Kofi Yates fight, you then went on to fight uh, Farid Hakimi in the very next fight, which was your first kind of title fight. You picked up the WBC, yeah. WBA international super lightweight title again on another Bellu undercard, another big platform. And again, so yeah. just your thoughts there on picking up a title, give you a WBA ranking. Another proud moment, another big occasion in the career of Tom Farrell. Yeah, definitely. It was a, I think the the push for to get me a title shot because of the because the Kofi Yates fight was was due to be due to be a title shot. So Not any of itself, um, kind of British title level, really, wasn't it? You know, just to go back. Yeah, on, I, think it, Tom Farrell, I think it. I think it ended up being an eliminator. Um, but Eddie had said, you know, it was a cracking fight. It should have should have been for the title, whether it be the centre there or the English. Um, so he said, we'll, you'll get, get us a little title shot next fight. And obviously he didn't. I was due to the fight. Um, I like called Manchester. So Manchester called Adam Haig. Um, and I think he, he literally he had a fight a couple of weeks before. Um, just like a little tickle one that he'd already had planned in. Just with a journeyman to, just to get a bit of ring rust off. And I think he picked up a cut. Um, so he was out of it two weeks before. So they were... Boom with Jim Ryan trying to get me opponents and obviously it had to be like a certain level to box with the international title. Uh, and we come back with the with the Belgian lads out of the Kenyan. It was a bit of an unknown. We, we couldn't find any information on um, I think we got sent like a one fight um, and got told that he'd had a lot of kickboxing or yeah, kickboxing experience. Um, but yeah, it was so yeah, as I said, it was a bit of an unknown. And again, it was another another so he won, he was he was very old and he couldn't have a look early on, didn't give much away. Um, but yeah, he was he was good, he was he was quite long and he could punch a little bit, so I had to be had to be on the first uh, first game. So that was a majority decision win over ten rounds. As you come towards the end of the fight, what was your memories like looking back? Was you confident that you'd done enough to win the fight? And when they said it was a, a majority decision, was you a bit perplexed as to where they've come to that conclusion? Or did you think, you know what, I'm in a close fight here, this could go either way? Yeah, do you know what? I, 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 whenever I'm boxing, I, I, I can't struggle to, to score it. I, I, I can't, like, 
I, when I boxed Kofi, I didn't, I didn't know whether I'd won. I was like, have I got that? Have I got that? And I knew I was, I was boxing all right, but I think as it, as it's gone, you're just thinking about the, the shots that you're taking, and I'm thinking, have I, have I lost that one? Or so I'm always unsure. Um, and obviously, when I've watched the Kofi fight back, I think I think I do do win quite quite well, and probably the score the score and the the referee the referee year that was in nineteen ninety three. So when when it comes to comes to that fight, it was a little bit closer. So I was I was nervous. Do you know what I mean? I did. You know, I was thinking oh, I've I've done enough. So look at the 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 two scorecards where I win. I think I think I do win. Do win by by a man two. Um, so yeah, I couldn't couldn't really argue, argue with the with the scorecards. It was close. I think at the time when I was in the air, I thought I won the first four quite comfortable. Not do, probably not doing a lot, and probably not doing as much as I should have. But I think Hakimi was having a look. I think he probably took a lot of late notice, and he wasn't the fittest. And I think the first four I probably took quite well, and then the next probably four were when were nip and suck. Um, and I think he came on a little bit, um, and then I think I always fin- I always finished quite strong. So around nine and ten, I think he he was looking like he he, he couldn't last. He was looking to his corner to see to see how long was left, and was it uh, was looking like he wanted the belt to go. So yeah, I think although I was nervous and was a little bit worried, I think in the heart I knew I was going to get it. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, eventually you get your hand raised and you got the victory. Let's move on to the first career loss. Uh, unfortunately, you, you were stopped by O'Hara Davis. Uh, the first loss of your career by stoppage. Uh, it was a build-up that was different to anything you'd experienced at the time. O'Hara is, is certainly unique. He's a bit of a loudmouth. He's very outspoken. Let's start from when the fight was announced and, you know, the press conferences and the interactions. As I say, Davis is a... He's a perplexing character. He polarizes opinions. How did you feel when the fight was first announced? Your first opinions of O'Hara from what you've seen on social media and other fights? Um, I never really had a, an opinion of him. Obviously, I'd seen him the fight before. I'd seen him where he turned his back, um, and obviously, the opinion was that he was a he was a bottle job, and you know, he got a bit, bit tough in there. Yeah, he got a bit tough in there, didn't he? Um, but you know. It, I did. I did know that Josh Taylor's a top level fighter, but I think most most people would say that they would never look for a way out like he did. So, uh, and I think that's what everyone was trying to give to him in the in the build up, and you know, saying he requested me to end his back. And I think that will always live with him. Um, I think once you do that, you're not going to get the stuff stick over that. And yeah, that's going to be people's way of trying to get at him. Yeah, I never really had an opinion. I, I still say that I don't hate him. I never like. I never like hated him where I couldn't stand him. It was just like it was business and I think he was trying to get under my skin, I was trying to get under his and I probably rose to it a little bit too much and especially in the in the in the pre-fight press conference, the one the one one before the weigh-in, I think I probably bit a little bit too much and you know, made made them made them have a little bit of an effect on me. Yeah, I think, you know, as you say there before about scousers and being close and it's kind of like one-for-all mentality, O'Hara Davis isn't the most popular person when he comes to Liverpool. We know that for a fact. And the, the build-up to the Derry Matthews fight and, and things like that epitomised the way that he's, you know, he's, he's definitely not liked in Liverpool. Did that kind of add any pressure to you? Did that play in your mind that you thought, you know, like, 
I'm, I'm kind of representing Liverpool here. Like, I'm, I'm going to do it for everybody because my mates don't like him. The, the people at the press conference don't like him. People on social media are asking me to knock him out. Did that play on your mind at all? Or was you just focused on your job and doing what you had to do? No, not, not in particular, no. I think he hadn't really made any comments about it, about Liverpool. And so, well, yeah, I think a few months after I boxed him, right. it was more the, the fact we just beat, he'd not long beat Derry Matthews and... Yeah, that sorry, he did. He had had a little go at that press conference for Tell a lie because uh, I remember I waited in there myself for or I had a press conference for a fight against Tom Harris. Uh, he called people like seven pound hour bums and stuff like that. Um, so that didn't go down well. Um, and that's obviously why all the scouts that were there to watch me were were having a go at him. But yeah, it was, it was never there left. It was he was just he was just a man in front of me. Do you know what I mean? I thought I, I, I had the job to to do against them. Well, unfortunately, it didn't go my way, but see, it is what it is. How was it to recover from that from a first career setback? You know, you're riding this way, the momentum, you've got some big wins under your belt, and I mean, you suffer the first loss. How long did it take for you to, to accept that loss and kind of get your your mind focused on rebuilding and, and coming back and, and rediscovering yourself? You know what? It didn't, it didn't take me. It didn't take me long, really. I was gutted, you know. I was you know, gutted that I'd been beaten. How it happened, but it, I knew, I knew so. I knew what went wrong. Really, I was. Um, he's a big puncher. You know, switched off just at the end of the first round, and you know that just changed the changed the uh, changed the game of the whole fight and the plan was to box him, box him, um, and you know take him late and tie him up. But because I got. It's, an, it's so well at the end of the first round I just spun the fight on the head and before, before I knew it I was fighting losing battle with him like, to be honest when I've when I, when I been hit it was, it was more reacting on instinct I wasn't thinking about how game plan I was thinking about survival and, and I think I had a little spell where I started to come, come back into it um, and then in the end he, he just he got to me again yeah, unfortunately so. But let's move forward again. You know, I'm skipping out a few fights here, but we just want to touch on on the main points. I want to get to the the Sean Dodd fight, the Masha Dodd fight. It was a bit of a yeah. unfortunate ending, but a fight that promised a lot. It, it started like a house on fire. It was a it's a great 50-50 match on paper. Um, yeah, take us through the disappointment of that fight. Of course, it was stopped due to a cut, a terrible cut in the end. Yeah. Uh, and and Dodd got the nod after I think was it four rounds. But it was an horrendous cut, you know. Do you ever look back yeah, at it and turn your stomach? Do you know what? It, no, it was um, as I said the way before. I'm, I'm, I'm bad at. I think I'm bad at like scoring out the fight then because at the time I remember after the first round or the second round, me might have come back. I felt like I was boxing, boxing all right, I was nice and calm, nice and relaxed. Um, I thought I was in console. I was probably nicking the rounds. Um, and I went back to the corner and Danny was like, I think you probably lost that round. I was like, yeah, do you reckon? I honestly thought I'd, I'd, I'd done enough. Um, in the third, don't get me wrong, they were, they were all nipping tough rounds. Um, and in the fourth, when the when the collision happened and, and I banged dead and I just seen it spraying, spraying all over his back, I thought, oh, do you know what, I've got, to, I've got to try and get him out here because this isn't going to, this isn't going to last all this literally just started swinging for the swinging for the fences to be honest I, and at one, at, at one point I just couldn't see a thing because I think the, the Vaseline and then blood and everything it was just blood was in both eyes I think because it was down the middle yeah. 
it was affecting both guys. Would they being on one side? I think it'd have been all right. And yeah. after they being all right, carrying on. But because it was right in the middle, it was going in both guys. And in the end, there was just half swing and blind. And I think I nearly got him at the end. Yeah, at the end of the fourth round, I ate him with a with a lovely uppercut and a few other shots. And I think. I think it was 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 close to getting, but obviously it was only four rounds. Masses of fit, fit as a fiddle in, and you know you can take a good shot. So it was obviously yeah, it was a it was a big build up. It was gonna prove to be a, be a good fight, and that just honestly a bit of a bit of a sour end into it. And, you know when it went to, it went to the cards, and obviously the I think it was a two judges said it was. I think all judges actually went for him. Yeah, I thought it was two judges. Yeah. Two judges and then one said throw, but I think they were all like 39, 38, or 39, 37. Yeah, looking at it, it was uh, 39, 38, 39, 37, and 38, 38. So it was, uh, yeah, so it was nipping, uh, it was nipping tough, and it was just, just unfortunate. I think, I think literally the week later, I think, um, Liam Taylor, I think Liam Taylor boxed Chris Jenkins, um, for, for the Commonwealth. Or British title, and literally it was a bad court against the delay, but he stopped it exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it went to a technical draw, so it was just it was just one of them. It, I think I think Mark Lyson probably started to give me the best opportunity I could to carry on, but then obviously it it it, it went the other way when I went uh, back back five and I went back the corner and Danny up and I was left listening. You can't carry on with that, and the doctor was left. It's one of those. It's it, it was a bad one. It was, it was just gushing into my eyes, and it was a it was getting back back, back into. It. I was a little bit nervous, but you know I've had no problems. I've been sparred and all that since. And I did have the one fight just before the last lockdown twelve months ago, just to just to get get myself back in there. And I was proper worried about it going again. Box proper cautious and was a little bit nervous about getting it on it, as opposed to. I wasn't wasn't able to like getting beat or getting it. I just didn't want that cut to go again, and you know, it was it was fine. It wasn't a problem. Yeah, how, so, how many stitches did it take in the end? It wasn't many at all, to be honest. It was um, it was quite a clean one, but it was literally just just a bit of a hole in me. It was all five or six, I think. Um, and it would heal quite well. You don't even really notice it now, to be honest. Yeah, so as you say there, you had the little run out uh, before the pandemic, and that's where we're up to now, and. You know, you had that run out. I'm sure you would have expected to have been much more active than you have been. Unfortunately, you've not managed yeah. to to get a fight since the pandemic took a grip of the country. It took a grip of everything. But Sean Dodd himself, he's not fought. But is, is he retired now? Has Sean Dodd hung the gloves up? No, not not, not at all. No, I don't think so. I think he's. Um, well, what happened was that I boxed on. The, I was I was actually due to go and box in Switzerland, uh, like the the end of. The end of March last year, um, and the opponent literally pulled out like a couple of weeks before, um, but there was there was the talk of coronavirus as well, so it, it probably it wouldn't have happened anyway to be honest. So because he pulled out, um, Steve Wood said, "Listen, I'll just get you on my show on the weekends, um, just to, just to get you run out." Masha was then boxing the week later, um, which would then pave the way for me and Masha to then box in the summer for potentially a title down the line. And um, then I think my show, the one that I got on was literally the last show that happened. Um, so then the week later, Masha then didn't fight. And um, I don't know how he's been in the gym since. Um, I'm not too sure. Um, 
But yeah, I think we were pinning our hopes on getting that on again, maybe in Eddie's back garden, but it, it didn't make sense to them because obviously it was a big crowd generating and obviously it's only really your maximum prospects and people like that are getting on um, well, unless you unless you're fighting one of them. Yeah, I think you know the, the the whole kind of tagline that's gone with pandemic boxing or behind closed doors boxing is let's get 50 50 fights on, you know, and prospects against prospects, but also you know, yourself and, and Masha Dodd are nowhere near prospect level at the minute, but it's a 50-50 fight, and that's the kind of fight we want to see. So I think certainly this year, you know, there's this talk of uh, Eddie doing matchroom fight camp again with a crowd. You know, you could certainly see that on a on an undercard somewhere at, at fight camp, or even Frank Warren, if he wanted to get the fight on one of his cards, it's still, there's a lot of desire yeah. to see that rematch, even, you know, 16, 17, 18 months down the line given that the pandemic's wiped a year out, it still feels very fresh in the memory and it was bubbling up to be a great fight. So, yeah, I certainly think there's legs in that fight coming back around. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I would, would, uh, would love to get that on again. And again, there's never, there was never any animosity or anything between me and Masha. It was, we, were, we were close and we were, you know, me to be part of it. We had the same manager, everyone for the, for the meal together after we'd boxed with Steve Wood and stuff like that prior to to fight each other and yeah, we were, we'd always got on to we knew each other from the amateur Jerry days and it was just one of them we just got off of the fight and we knew it'd be a good fight and it, it would have it, it you know it benefited both of us so we took him so yeah of course we'd probably love to get it back on again yeah absolutely so we look forward to what's coming next in the career Tom Farrell but Tom while I've got you here we'll move on forward to some of the more recent boxing news headlines get your opinions and input on some of the things that's gone down and First and foremost, let's start with the biggest news to come from the weekend. Carl Frampton was unfortunately unable to become the first man from the island of Ireland, three-weight world champion. He was stopped in six rounds by Jamel Herring for the WBO super featherweight title. Took place out in Dubai. It was a brutal knockout when it happened, Tom. First and foremost, your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I think he was, I think he was just there. Fair play to him. He's, he's there to be great. I mean, he's, he's wanted to move up another weight and take on... Uh, a world champion in Jamal Herring, who, you know, he was just massive. That was my first, my first thought straight away um, when I seen them even talk about fighting was how big Herring was compared to Peter Frampton, make it even worse. He was a southpaw, so and it was a, it was a big ask, and you know, he's been a quality fighter and, and like someone who I've loved watching Frampton all the years, and so it was gutted, gutted to see him, see him go out in that fashion, but. You know, it's, a, it's just one of them, isn't it? It's, it's father time. It just gets gets everyone, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it. You know, but you're looking back over his career, I'm sure he'll sit down as a, a very proud man, two-weight world champion. He's Commonwealth champion, European champion. Some big victories over there, like Kiko Martinez, Leo Santa Cruz, Scott Quiggan, which was, you know, I think it's overlooked yeah. now in, in, in kind of modern boxing. It was only four, five, six years ago when he fought Scott Quigg. I was ringside for that fight as well. It was such a huge occasion and they had um, the fight week build-up. I remember going to the Manchester Arena and they had like a fan zone and they had uh, Callum Smith, Liam Smith, uh, Paul Smith, Andy Crawler, all, you know, like in, in a line signing autographs and signing gloves and, and things like that. They had a public workout. Uh, they had a public weigh-in. There's about 5,000 of us there for the weigh-in alone. You know, it's, yeah, it's really overlooked and it just goes to show the kind of pull that Carl Frampton had. You know, we look at Josh Warrington or, or Ricky Hatton, but Carl Frampton and his fans from Belfast are certainly up there. They make a lot of noise and they travelled him, travelled behind him wherever he went. Yeah, definitely. He was a, he's always had a great following. Just thought how exciting he was to watch him. 
Han synes jeg ikke mener, som, som klar om fight, så når Leo Santa Cruz, han blev ikke på fight. Eh, Scott Craig, klar om fighten, han har vist, han skal få en masse wins. Ja, det er også en shame nok at se ham, at se ham gætte op i Wayward, hvad der tager i vejen. Og ja, igen, han just kommer op igen for. I think Jamal, Jamal Hedden, he was, he was quality, he was meat and tidy, and he just, he was just so, he's just so big for the weight, especially compared to Frampton, who's, who's not, not really a super feather, he's, he's only quite small for that weight. Yeah, absolutely. So, some, you know, it's easy in boxing to be an after-timer and, and say hindsight's a wonderful thing because certain things happen on fight night and then you kind of look for clues in fight week and think, you know, how did this happen? And you kind of try and pick out clues and, and little, like, know-hows for why the fight happened the way it happened. Carl Frampton, in a couple of build-up interviews, said if he loses this fight, he's going to retire. Is that planting the seeds of doubt? You know, he might say a million times that, you know, I'm 100% going in there to win. I'm going to create history. I'm going to get the victory. I'm going to become the first three-weight world champion from the island of Ireland. But once he said that, you know, that millisecond, split-second remark of, I'm going to retire if I lose, does that plant a seed of doubt there straight away? I don't know. I, I think... I think you you could say that, and people will say you know he's been a bit pessimistic and he's he's already planning to the tie. But I think that's that's always been his that was always his plan anyway. That he didn't want to go on fight until he was too long. As he as you see in his post fight interview, he's you know he said he's missed loads of loads of his family time, missed his, some some of the time spent with his kids and that growing up, and his, his wife probably being in his ear to stop stop fighting. And I think he's very honest. I think. Uh, He's one of the most honest fighters out there. He always comes out with exactly what he's thinking. He's, he doesn't doesn't pull no punches, and he's probably just thought, you know, what win or lose, I'm I'm out anyway. And he's, that like that would have been it, wouldn't it? That would be the action on the cage. If he if the won and he got the third world title, he he probably would have vacated it anyway, and probably thought, you know, what I've done, what I've set out to do. And he he's probably already done that, being a two weight world champion, just fell. At the final level, you know, he's there to be great. He's on a big, big world champion, and Jamal Lennon, who's probably looked three weeks above him. You know, it hasn't come off for him, hasn't been a fair tail end. Him. But yeah, that's that's it. He's, he's thought, you know what, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm done now. That's that's my, my time done. Yeah, that's it. And like you say there, win or draw, uh, sorry, win or lose, Um, he, he, he probably would have been best calling it a day. Given you know, you look at that super featherweight division with the likes of Oscar Valdez, the likes of Shakur Stevenson, there or thereabouts. It's it. although Jamel Heron is 35 years of age and he's a champion, but he's a young champion, he's up and around too many times. But that super featherweight division and people dropping down from lightweight, coming up from featherweight, it's 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 a killer division. It's you know, a lot of young lions there and and Carl Frampton. You know, although he, he he was knocked out by Jamel Heron, he's kind of went out on his shield uh on a big stage and yeah, you know, he could have looked at Shakur Stevenson at Windsor Park in yeah. Belfast for his next fight. And if he'd got knocked out in front of 20,000 screaming Belfast fans, that might have hit him a lot more and it might have been a bit more of a, a better problem to swallow. But part of me does think, you know, he probably did deserve a bigger event than what was what it was the other night. You know, it should have been, could have been a big spectacle. But as you're saying, it, it might have hit him more, you know, getting beat by in front of 20,000 fans are. Um, at, at a stadium and where, where, where he lives and all his family there so you know maybe, maybe it, is, it is probably better the way it is but I think yeah. he did deserve like a big night and you know, big, big send-off sort of thing 
Yeah, we wish Carl the very best in retirement. Let's look forward, Tom, to this weekend. Conor Ben, one of the most exciting and young, improved fighters in the UK. He takes on Samuel Vargas, who's a seasoned operator at world level. He's never really cracked it at the very top, but he's been in there with likes of Errol Spence, Danny Garcia, Virgil Ortiz. So he's got that kind of big know-how, big fight feel and experience. But Conor Ben, how excited are you to follow the journey of Conor Ben? He's following in the footsteps of Nigel Ben, of course, a, a great all-time great British boxer. But Conor Ben, are you impressed? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm impressed with the, with the improvements that he's made um, under Tony Sims. I think he's looking, looking like a quality quality fighter now. And he, was, he was only young when he's, when he's playing ball. He's had limited amateur experience. And again, a bit like myself, he hasn't had, probably hasn't had many amateur fights compared to the rest of the pros that, that are out there. He probably has been there on the job, but you can't fault him for his, his work ethic and his determination. And you know, he's 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 not the one who's daring to be great. He, he wants to create his own career to his own his own name and I know he's had a bit of a helping on because of who his dad is, but you know, that's just that's the way it works, isn't it? It's just part and parcel of Ricky Atten and Matt uh, Campbell Atten last weekend. And you know, he's boxing on paper a few shows already. He's only he's only a baby, isn't he? You, know, you can't knock him. I think he's a He's shown that he's he's a quality he's going to be a quality fighter because he's only still young in in terms of fighting. So yeah, I think I am impressed with Conor Ben. I I hope he does. As I said I hope I'm always behind me. Yeah, me me Brits like a, I am me scouts. I always want like a, a British British lad to do well. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting with Conor Ben at the minute. You know, you look at the, the 147 division domestically, it's a great division with Michael McKinson. He picked up a, a good victory recently. You've got Josh Kelly in there, even though he took the loss to David Avenisi, and he'll, he's young enough to rebound and rebuild. Chris Congo, Lufa Clay, Chris Jenkins is the British champion. So it's, it's a bit of a weird one with Conor Ben because he's got the talent to be in there and, and mix it with those guys. But at the same time, his name and his victory, certainly against Romel, has almost surpassed him beyond domestic level, you know, so it puts him at a, a bit of a precarious position because he's, he's knocking on the door of fringe world title challenges. And I think that, that's going to bring pressure on itself because he's got the name. Eddie Earns describing him as the next pay-per-view star, but he's not really got the apprenticeship, if that makes sense, you know, of coming up and winning British, Commonwealth, European and then world titles. It's almost like he's skipping a couple of levels. Yeah, definitely. I think he, he could, could have definitely picked up yeah, maybe a British title and maybe even gone for a European on the way, but I think the the people who are around that around at that level are, are good and probably as good as good as him to to be pushing pushing on for you know to go and fight Samuel Vargas, some of the the British champion. I think it's the British champion Chris Jenkins at the minute. You know he's a, he's a quality fighter and you can't you can't overlook him. He's he's a he's been he's been in the mix for years and he was unsuccessful a few times at, at super lightweight and then he finally. He got to play this title, but he's a he's a quality fighter. And there's a lot of other quality fights out there at welterweight, and I think the the they pushed Ben along nicely and gone gone the right fights, and he's he has said he has said that apprenticeship, but maybe not as tough as some of the other fighters who were out there at that weight, and you know, hopefully it pays off for them, um, and and it doesn't backfire missing out the, the likes of the British title, and you know, the another domestic title that he could have. Put the challenge for. So do you think he gets a job done this weekend by knockout? Do you think he makes a statement and stops Samuel Vargas? Is it this weekend? Is it? I thought it was. I thought it was May. Yeah, yeah, this week. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I think I don't I don't think uh, as ferocious as he is and uh, as like as sharp as he is, I don't think he's as he's, he's as big as puncher as well. You know, people think so. I think maybe um it'll be another fight in there where, where it might take him take him to, to go the distance and you know Vargas has told his knees being in being in some top fighters and but yeah, he took again, the, 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 yeah, he took American the, the distance over 12 rounds. He took American the distance, yeah, he's, again, he's a rapid, he's rapid, isn't he? Sharp punches and explosive. So maybe if he hasn't got him off the bed, but again, that was a, a few years ago. And, you know, Vargas has got a few more years on the clock. So again, it's about time. It's, you picked, you picked, picked a good fight for him to see, to see where he's at against, uh, you know, former world title challenger. So, uh, it's a, it's a good fight, and you know, I, I hope he doesn't. I think he, I think he will. I think he will do it, but I think he'll be on points. Another fight I want to get your opinion on, given that you're, you know, you're in the super lightweight division at the very top of that uh, division is Josh Taylor, a, the, the Scotchman. He's unified, a super lightweight champion. He's going in for the undisputed fight with uh, Jose Ramirez. A great fight. It's that's later on in May. There's no real set date just yet. But I think we're expecting yeah. this one in May. But it's a great fight, Tom. You know, what's your thoughts on that fight being in the same division and looking up to those guys? Yeah, um, you know, I think uh, Josh Taylor's the man to beat her at Ten Stone. I think uh, I think he clear he can clear up the division, and you know, I think uh, he'll probably look at moving up then to to welterweight and to chase the titles at that weight. And yeah, I think he I think he beats him here. I just think he's uh, so young. He's still so young and fresh, and he's just shot up to um. To the elite level, as me, but really, Chris, and you know, with relative ease, he's looked quite comfortable doing that in, in every fight he has against, you know, top fighters from Hostel and Regis Prograve. It was a, it was a, that was a cracking fight, and Blanchett, people like that. And I think it's, it's a, he'll announce how, how good he is when he clears up undisputed, becomes the undisputed super lightweight champion. It's almost surreal to think, you know, we mentioned the fight earlier on with O'Hara Davis when Josh Taylor battered him, he stopped him and O'Hara looked to have quit. He said he had damage to his nose. But it's almost bizarre to think the fight was looked at at that point as 50-50, two young prospects coming through, undefeated records. Yeah, and, and to think, well, you know, with all due respect... No, well, I, 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 think it, I think it was probably some people were, were, were probably overlooking Josh Taylor, how good he was, and Taylor and O'Hara Davis, and... I think it was, it was coming out more than a 60-40 there. People were thinking that it was even close. And, you know, I think we, we, we knew how good Josh Taylor was. And I think people just thought, you know, a while well, is not, not the best, but he's whack. I think that was always the, the chance that he was, he was going to let Josh Taylor. But, you know, he, he proved he proved too, too clever and too sharp, Josh. And, you know, he, he, he played with him in the end. Yeah, and as you say there, you know, he's 16, 17 and all. He's beat Baranchek, he's beat Regis Progre, he's beat Victor Postel. Uh, it's, it's almost like a who's who. And some of these wins almost age better with time. You know, when you think Victor Postel, he's gone on to do good things and Baranchek was in a fight of the year, contender was a paider last year. And it all paints Josh Taylor in a good light. And as you say, he's progressing up and he, he's becoming elite and he's up there as one of the pound-for-pound pound best boxers in the UK and certainly on a world level. Do you think he's got the capabilities to go on and become a multi-weight world champion? And if he goes up to 147, do you think he wins the titles up there? Yeah, definitely. I think he's, a, he's got what it takes to, to go on and, and to, to do to do them things against, you know. He, he's not the biggest spot, maybe, that might 
Avalon Fest when he comes up against like Crawford and Spencer, you know, massive solid welterweight who could probably move up away themselves. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely got this, this game in the field to, to go on and do that. I think I was, I was actually met, got off with the sparring. I think Ben Davis and Davison give, give us a message about this time last year before all of that to, to go up and sparring. But at the time, I was due to spar. It was when I was saying for the fight against the small golf stocks over in Switzerland. They, um, you know, they offered, they offered me a uh, sparring with Justin Ruth, the Grangy, Grangy Shelbourne, who's, who's obviously been a nightmare as well. I think it uh, would have been hard in the, the fight that I was due to that, but yeah, it was, it was so it was good that he, he regarded me as a, a possible sparring partner. So, uh, but he's, he's definitely the man to beat us in that, that sense, though. Yeah, he's a great fighter, and we look forward to that fight. Another fight, uh, Red, it's head again, Tom, and it's it's been there or thereabouts. At one point, it would have been the most desired fight in the UK. Now, both guys are, are very much past the sell-by date. Amir Khan, Kel Brook, Amir Khan's come out this week, and he said that he wants this fight to happen. He thinks it could fill out Old Trafford. Not too sure what he's thinking there. Maybe Old Trafford on FIFA, but it's not going to fill out Old Trafford in, in real life. It's, it's years past its sell-by date, but for me, you know, you might differ... I still want an answer to this question. I don't want this to be a junior Witter and Ricky Hatton situation or a Riddick Bowl Lennox Lewis where years down the line we're constantly going to argue about it. You know, Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, that happened too many years too late, but we still yeah. got an answer in some form. I still want that with Amir Khan, Kel Brook. What's your thoughts? Yeah, it would It would still be a, a bit of a spectacle, wouldn't it? But, you know, it's. I think it's been and gone, hasn't it? There's been that many talks of it and it's felt to... People want more, want too much money. People want sixty forty splits. This that and the other. I, I actually called it years ago when I was like, "This is just going to be what I like." You said then with a bit with them. It's just not never going to happen. It's always someone's, someone's got someone's wanting too much of the pot, and it's never going to happen. I think now, um, both of the fighters are both fighters are probably past bliss. Definitely past the best, but I don't really think I doubt you're really gonna see how both possibly on make a fight again. Whether this whether this pandemic uh, keeps keeps them out or well, I just don't really see them fighting again. I mean he's always in good fighters and he's always he's always in in boss fights, but I, I just can't really see Cal coming back to be honest, but I don't see why it get them get them up for it now when you know both of them are probably on the tail and the career that's it you know you think and boxing's a business and as a fan we don't really like to talk about numbers but yourself you would have been in, involved in in fight purses and whatever else you look at that fight and you think you know if these guys have come together they'll probably share what three or four million now at, at their age you go back five six years they could have been sharing 15 20 million it was that big of a fight it would have been a Wembley-esque fight. It could have been up there with Frotch and Groves as one of the best domestic rivalries. There could have been rematches and trilogies. And as you say there, it's going to be difficult if they're not getting motivated to take that risk back then. How are they going to take it now and, and take much, much less money? And the reward's not there for the risk because, like it or not, uh, with Ahmed Khan and Kelbrook, two former world champions, their names are going to be synonymous with each other for me, in my opinion. I think when you look back and it's... If one loses to the other, it's always going to be, oh, Kel Brook, former world champion, he lost the biggest fight of his career to Amir Khan and vice versa. Amir Khan, former Olympian, world champion, but he lost his biggest fight of his career to Kel Brook. 
do you think that plays a big part in both guys' mindset? They'll never admit it publicly, but do you think pride plays a massive part in this? I don't I don't think so with Amir Khan because you know he's been in there, but you know, the likes of Canelo, he doesn't fear anyone, does he? He's, you know, you get knocked out bad and he still comes back fighting. He's uh, he's not scared of scared of no one. And I don't think he's scared sort of losing to Cal Brook, but why do you think it's the, the fear of Cal Brook losing to Amir Khan? He was just I just don't really know what's going on behind this behind the scenes and yeah, maybe a little bit of greed, greed like this whole hole where people were wanting too much money or too much of a slice of the pie. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I honestly can't see that happening. And I definitely don't think it sells all stuff like, like the song because it's, it's not a big fight. You know, neither of them are a big name really anymore. Are they? No one's got a world title. And both, both probably coming off. With a bad, bad spell, really. So, uh, I can't, can't see that happen. I think it is always going to be the fight that, like that never happened. Yeah. So, you know, it might not sell out Old Trafford, but they could always put it down at the Hetty the Hand, the smaller team in Manchester. Not sure if anyone listens to <laughs> but if Man City have a team as well, and they don't really sell out their, 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 their uh, arena. So, maybe uh, uh, Khan and Brooke can do me a favour and fill out the Hetty. I've been in the Man City in myself, so now they don't sell all that. So, Tom, I'll put you on the spot. If if Prime Kelbrook and Prime Amir Khan had fought maybe 2014 when Brook had beat Porter and Khan had beat Devin Alexander, I think that's prime time for that fight to happen. Who wins that fight, Prime versus Prime? I'm going with Khan. Do you think he stops him? Do you think he goes points? <sighs> yes, he's got a bit of a dig on him as well. He can punch it. His speed is his power, isn't he? He's so sharp. And... Obviously, he's always susceptible, but I always love watching Khan. And the same with Brooke, I love, love watching Kyle Brooke. He's an unbelievable fighter, but I'd probably say in the plan, and the Khan. Yeah. I'll go for points. Yeah. Too simplistic as a boxing fan from the outside looking in to say, with these big fights, why can't we agree a 40 40 split with the extra 20% going to the winner? You know, you've got Amir Khan, Kyle Brooke. Fury, Joshua, uh, Joshua Wilder, yeah. Spencer Crawford, all these kind of fights that are not happening that should be happening. Is it too simplistic just to say 40-40 and the extra 20% to the winner? No, John, well, I think we could definitely take a little bit of a little bit of the what the UFC do. You know, again, like you said, the 50-50 fights all the time. 50-50 fights where, you know, there's bonuses, incentives, bonuses, like knockout bonus, fights of the night. Um, because people can't get their head around that. With boxing, you get paid the same whether you win or whether you lose your purse is negotiated before or after. People always say to me, but what do you get if you win? I'm like, the same as what I get if get of a lose, do you know what I mean? But uh, the, way the, the way they have their fights, you've got the you've got top fighters fighting to all the time. Like, the best are fighting the best all the time. And a loss isn't the end of the world to them. It's, you know, just to stick back into Big fights, well match fights, and you know, as you said there, the, the, there's a little pace like split where you know there's a bit of an incentive to win. Yeah. That's why I always used to like watching the prize fight at tournaments yeah. because there was good fights on, decently matched fights, and there was bonuses for winning and bonuses for getting the knockouts, and uh, it, it was it was a good good concept, and I think as you said there, it would be a, a little bit of a. Little bit of a um, 
a way of dealing with, with, with things carry on the way they had because there's that many different governing bodies, that many different organisations and different belts. I think the general public are getting a little bit pissed off that big fights are happening. You know, I think obviously the, the high profile one now is the Joshua Fury. You have to believe that that's going to go ahead and so I see it, see it up there, and see the global saying this date, it's this location, and it's happening. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things as a boxing fan. You know, if I have a couple of my friends that don't really follow the sport of boxing, um, and you'd have it yourself, and you're trying to explain to a non boxing fan, you know, they maybe come up to you and go, Oh, why is Terence Crawford not fighting Spencer? Why is Fury not fighting Joshua? And you just kind of go, uh, it's boxing, it happens. You know, at what point yeah. in boxing do we just say, like, you know, this this can't no longer happen? And, you know, UFC is often looked at as, like, the ugly little brother of boxing. It's, you know, it's newer on the scene. It's not got the history and the prestige of boxing. But there's a lot we can take from that. And you, you see with uh, Dana White that if a certain guy doesn't take a fight or if he doesn't perform the way he's promised to perform, he'll kick him out. And, you know, and they go back to yeah. the lower leagues. We've not got that overriding governing body in boxing. And I dare say we never will have that overriding governing body, like your FIFA in football and whatnot. But where do you think the book stops? How do we stop this trend of the big fights just passing us by? Or if they do happen, they happen too late? Yeah, that's just not it's, a, it's the, the million-dollar question, though, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's, uh, as I said, because there's that many people involved and you know, there's, there's that many high-profile like, people, as in Eddie and Frank Rodman. They had that reach out to each other. They said, let's have a meeting, let's have a chat, and let's do this for... The British boxing, but it all fell by the wayside, and then it still hasn't been nowhere. All clear up, and, and you know, it's it, it, it is a tough one, and it's it's a, it's going to be hard to to get everyone to you know to to agree with them because there's that much money involved. It's it's hard, isn't it? Money obviously takes over, and it's all about revenue and purses coming in, pay per view, and it's just. Yeah, it's definitely a hard one. But Tom, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. I'm going to leave the final word with you moving in through 2021. What can we expect from Tom Farrell, Team Fazza? Just to get a fucking fight, mate. <laughs> yeah, just to get a fight. Hopefully, I get a, get a couple of fights in before, before the end of this year. We need to be knocking uh, at the door of Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren. We need to be demanding these fights and uh, our social media followings need to be banging on the door and getting the opportunities for, for Tom Farrell because yeah. he's in great fights. Definitely, yeah. Nice one. I'm glad, glad that you come down. Well, I'm looking forward to being back. It's, I haven't had any time out the gym. I've still been training the whole, the whole, the whole of the last two months. I had a few possible little fights that could have, could have happened and then you just fell by the wayside. And so I've, I've, been, I've been in the camp but I've, know, I've enjoyed training still and, you know, I'm counting this year as I'm not counting the last year as part of my career. I'm just knocking it off my age. So I've still, still got a few years left. That's it. Well, yeah, thanks for joining me today, mate. Uh, everyone check out Tom Farrell on social media. Get behind his following. Get behind his journey, his career. Check out Simbox as well. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Make sure you check out Simbox across social media and subscribe to the Simbox YouTube channel.